We've titled the series, More Than Me, Living in a Selfish Society. Living in a selfish society brings a great deal of pressure on each of us. The people around us want us to conform to their values. And we're taught from a very early age, look out for number one. In our culture, self-sacrifice, self-denial, denying myself something so that I can give to someone else is sometimes seen actually as a sign of weakness. And of course, there's that continuing pressure to keep pace with the people around us to achieve the status symbols. And you know what the status symbols of our society are. Having the right clothes. Driving a shiny car, living in a larger house, in a better neighborhood. We're pressured to make the grade at work, to get the promotion, to earn the raise, to get the benefits and the perks. The goal of this series of sermons is to help us to draw our attention away from ourselves. What's to help me? To see beyond myself. To open my life to the needs and the troubles of the people who are around me. My neighbors. To widen my vision. So that it encompasses more than me. In the movie Toy Story 3. Andy, the the owner of Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And a whole lot of other wonderful toys decides that he's going to give away his toys to a little girl named Bonnie. It's a poignant moment. And we get just a little glimpse of the impact that these toys have made on that young man's life. And we also get a glimpse of how a simple act of generosity can make a great big impact on a life. Let's take just a few moments and see that again. Andy? Hi. Wow, look at you. I hear you're off to college. Yeah, right now, actually. So, what can we do for you? Uh, I have some toys here. Ooh, you hear that, Bonnie? So you're Bonnie? I'm Andy. Someone told me you're really good with toys. These are mine, but I'm going away now. So I need someone really special to play with them. This is Jessie, the roughest, toughest cowgirl in the whole West. She loves critters, but none more than her best pal, Bullseye. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> Here. This is Rex, the meanest, most terrifying dinosaur who ever lived. Rawr! Potato Heads, Mr. and Mrs. 
You gotta keep them together, cause they're madly in love. Now Slinky here is as loyal as any dog you could want. And Ham, he'll keep your money safe. But he's also one of the most dastardly villains of all time. Evil Dr. Porkchop! <laughs> These little dudes are from a strange alien world. Pizza Planet! And this... <laughs> is Buzz Lightyear, the coolest toy ever! Look, he can fly. Oh, and shoot lasers. He's sworn to protect the galaxy from the evil Emperor Zerg. Now, you gotta promise to take good care of these guys. They mean a lot to me. My cowboy! Woody? What's he doing in there? You're the snake in my boot. Now, Woody, he's been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special he'll never give up on you ever he'll be there for you no matter what you think you can take care of him for me okay then <laughs> that was a simple gesture a very common gift. At the same time, it was quite a sacrifice, wasn't it? To give up toys, and especially Woody, that he had loved through most of his childhood. But he got a great reward, didn't he? It was a simple gift, but the look of happiness on the little girl's face was priceless. Well, I suppose you could put the price of a team of really good animators on it, but that would just be cynical, wouldn't it? To guide our effort to shift our attention away from ourselves, we're going to be exploring a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians who were living in the city of Colossae. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. You may pronounce the name of this city several ways. When you look at it, it looks like it could be Colossae, Colossa, Colossae. The city is an empty ruins now, and it's virtually forgotten. So don't worry that somebody's going to be mad at you because you pronounce the name of his hometown incorrectly. Just don't call the book Collusions. Please, don't do, don't do that. The Apostle Paul was a traveling missionary who preached as he went from town to town. When he entered a, a town, he would preach, and he would teach a few people, and when he gathered a core group around him, he would begin a church. 
And he would raise up leaders in the church, turn the leadership over to those few individuals. And then he would go on to another town and he would start that process all over again. Now, Paul probably did not travel to Colossae. He probably didn't actually make any converts there. However, his co-worker, Epaphras, did. Later, Paul wrote to the Christians in that city to encourage them in their faith and to teach them how to live their new lives in Jesus. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And as you're reading it, and I want to encourage you to do this, I want to encourage you to read the book of Colossians. Maybe each week as we go through the series, sometime during the week, read the book. It's just a few pages in your Bible. It will only take you a few moments to read the entire book. Read the entire book each week. And as you do, keep this in mind. As Paul is writing this, he's in prison. He was continually told by the religious and the government authorities to keep his mouth shut about Jesus. He was told, do not talk about Jesus. Now, in his culture, he would have been permitted to talk about anything, any religion, except Jesus Christ. Does that sound a little bit familiar? That's becoming increasingly common in our culture. Permissible. Even encouraged. To talk about any world religion with the exception of Christianity. But the Apostle Paul kept talking. He would not shut up. He would not be quiet about Jesus Christ. That was because of his love. He loved Jesus Christ. And he loved people. And he knew that Jesus had the answer That we all need. He knew that Jesus is the answer that we all need for happiness, for fulfillment, for life, for eternal life. And Paul was determined to bring life and joy to as many people as he could, even if that meant that he went to jail. So as we talk about living an unselfish life, We have an example of this man, Paul, who was in prison. So keep that in mind as I read for you the opening paragraphs of the letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and going just as, just as it has 
been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I apologize first to you for reading after the words were gone on the screen. I apologize for Josh, to Josh for treading all over his text for next week. But I was having such a good time. If we're going to love beyond ourselves, if we are going to live lives that include more than me, we must express our love to people around us. Did you notice the expressions of love that the Apostle Paul made here in this text? Now, before you go back through the text and you start looking for the word love, wait just a minute. Although he uses the word love three times in the text, he's talking about the love that the Colossians have for one another. But his expressions of love for them don't include that word. And so we're going to have to dig around in the text just a little bit to find that. Paul didn't write the way Cyrano de Bergerac did. He didn't speak of flowery love like Bergerac did toward Roxanne. He doesn't write like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who wrote, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love you with the depth and breadth and height that my soul can reach. Well, that's pretty. It's not very practical. Paul teaches us how to love in very practical ways. There's not mushy stuff here. Paul uses the word love three times. But if we'll dig in and explore, we can discover some ways from the Apostle Paul and from his disciple Epaphras how we can love the people around us. Now, there is a time to say, I love you. But those words have very little meaning if there isn't some kind of unselfish action to really back up what is being said. The first way that Paul expresses his love for the Colossians is to genuinely rejoice with them in the good things that are happening. Now I want to take you back to Colossians 1 and verse 4. And I want to read through there, and I want to point out some things. I want to point out their faith, their love, their hope, and what is stored for them in heaven, what is bearing fruit and is growing. So let's look at that again. Let's go to verse 4. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me point that out. Let me stop right there and interrupt myself. You know what? I feel bad when I interrupt other people. Somehow when I interrupt myself, it doesn't bother me at all. Faith in Jesus Christ. I hear people all the time talking about faith. You have to keep the faith. Most of the time when I hear somebody say, keep the faith, 
They have no idea what anybody has any faith in. Paul's very, very, very specific here. It is their faith in Jesus Christ. So back to verse, back to verse four. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from. Where do they get this faith? Where do they get this love? What is their motivation in all this? What is pushing them? What is inspiring them? He's going to tell us right here. That is, excuse me, from, that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Paul's telling us that things were going really well for the Christians in Colossae. They were on top of the world. And Paul wrote to them and he said, I thank God for what is happening I thank God that things are working out so well for you. Now, how do we usually respond to somebody else's good news? Just imagine this. Your sister's husband got a new job. And they were able to move into not only a bigger house, but a house bigger than yours. Your neighbor comes home. Parks in his driveway a shiny new BMW. And you're still driving a 2006 Chevy. A co-worker who's been with the company less time than you have gets promoted while you get passed by again. A friend has an inheritance and he goes out and buys a book. And you get your tax return. And you buy the kids a plastic wading pool. It's hard sometimes. It's hard to be happy for someone else when things in your life are really tough. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Bible tells us so many times over and over to love our neighbor as ourselves. One of the ways that we can put that love to work is explained in the letter to the Christians who lived in the city of Rome. There we read, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now that can be really hard to do. When you can genuinely be happy, when something good happens to someone, that is solid. That is concrete evidence of your love. It's not mushy. It's not all warm and fuzzy. It is sincere caring expressed by setting aside selfishness and genuinely sharing in someone else's happiness. Now, a second way to express, to, some, to express love to someone is just mentioned very briefly by the Apostle Paul in verse 7. 
In this instance, it's not really his own action. It is the action of his co-worker, Epaphras. Epaphras was the one who traveled to Colossae and who told them of Jesus. Look at how Paul describes him in verses 7 and 8. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, I want to back up and I want to talk about some words there. I want to talk about fellow servant and faithful minister. If you go back and you dig around in the words that the apostle originally wrote, if you dig around in the Greek language a little bit, where it says, my fellow servant, what he's really saying there is the man who was a slave with me. And when he talks about a faithful minister to Jesus Christ, we've, we've taken this word minister in our English language and we've loaded it up with all kinds of baggage. Here's what it meant when the Apostle Paul wrote it. And this is what the Apostle Paul intended when he wrote it. Faithful. Servant. A lowly position. He describes Epaphras as putting himself in a position as a slave to the people of Colossae and as a servant to Jesus Christ. A servant or a slave who labors for his master with absolutely no regard for his own well-being. Now, I want to borrow from a text that I plan to preach from in about three weeks. I want to take you to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, considering others better than yourselves. And that's what Epaphras was doing. He was considering others. He was considering the people of Colossae as better than himself. And that runs counter to the culture of our selfish society. We are conditioned to believe, I am as good as anyone else. And we've said it. I'm as good as anyone else. We may have even taken it a step farther and said, I'm as good as anyone else and better than most. That kind of thinking is the product of a selfish society. And so Epaphras shows us how to run counter to that culture. He had no selfish ambition. He had no vain conceit. He was dear to the Apostle Paul because he submitted himself as a fellow slave and a faithful servant. Epaphras had seen a need of the, in the people of Colossae. They needed to know about Jesus Christ. They had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had never heard about God's love for them. They had the greatest need of all needs. They were living without hope. And they were without life. And here's another example of how we genuinely love. By helping to meet the need. By doing something for someone else with no thought of receiving any kind of reward. 
There was a time when Jesus was teaching about loving your neighbor. And somebody in the crowd around him spoke up and said, So who's my neighbor? Jesus answered the question by telling the story of a man who was traveling to another city. And along the way, robbers jumped out of the bushes, assaulted him, robbed him, and left him lying, bleeding on the side of the road. And then Jesus said some people came by. And one by one, they just crossed to the other side of the road and eased on by. They couldn't be bothered. They didn't want to get involved. Until a man came along who did get involved. He was a Samaritan. We call him the good Samaritan. And he treated the injured man and got him to a place where he could get continuing care. And Jesus said, that man helped his neighbor. He had stopped to meet the need. And he was truly a neighbor to that man. One person cannot solve all the problems of the world. One family can't bail out an entire country. One church cannot meet the need of an entire city or a community. But we can become involved in the lives of a few people. But if we're going to get involved in the lives of people around us, it's going to demand time. It's going to take effort. It may even require a little money. Even more radical than that. It's very likely going to require a shift in our values. A fundamental shift that says there is something more than me. A drastic departure from the values of the selfish society we live in. My friend James is struggling with that contrast of values. He posted something on his Facebook page. By the way, you're looking at a pic there that James posted on his Facebook page. He's got his family all around him right after the birth of their most recent child. He and his wife have adopted two. They've got four the old-fashioned way. This is what James wrote. Two magazines in my house right now. American Girl versus Gospel for Asia. $110 will buy my daughter a sage doll and paperback book. Or $110 can buy a bicycle for a missionary in Asia to take the gospel where it has never been heard before. $68 will buy my daughter a Carolina's party set so that the American girl doll Caroline can have a birthday party. Or $65 will buy a lamb for a family in Asia so they can have wool for clothing, milk to drink, and or meat to eat. How have we gotten to the point where this is even a choice? And yes, I know 
You can use the excuse that we can use this argument for everything we buy for ourselves. But in the end, it is just an excuse. That is a deeply rooted struggle. Do you provide the American dream for your family or do you support a missionary? Do you give your daughter an expensive toy so that she is the envy of all of her friends? Or do you help feed a starving family halfway around the world? Our selfish society dictates that we spend all we can, go as deeply in debt as we can, that we enjoy as much as we can first. And then, if there's something left over, then we can throw a little money at a good cause and feel good about ourselves because we've been generous. Epaphras set such a different example. Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. You learned it from Epaphras. Learned what? Learned the gospel. You learned the gospel. You learned the message of Jesus Christ. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. He lived as a slave to others and as a servant to Jesus Christ. That is genuine love. And that genuine love produces the fruit of the gospel. Paul tells us about that. If we'll back up to verse 6 of the text, there, there he writes in verse, in verse 6, All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and go growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Paul writes about the gospel bearing fruit all over the world. And it was bearing fruit in the lives of the Colossians. These new Christians were growing. They were strengthened. They were filled with joy. And for that, the Apostle Paul is thankful. I want to take you back to verse 3 of chapter 1, where he writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Thanking God for someone else who is doing well really is not all that spectacular unless we remember Paul's condition. Where did I say he is writing from? He's in jail. And this isn't a minimum security prison for white-collar criminals. He's in prison. Confined. Constantly under guard. He was bound with shackles and chains. His life was continually threatened even while he was in prison. 
He had been beaten. He had been stoned. And he begins this letter by saying, I constantly thank God for you. He was happy for them. And then at the end, he starts it out, I thank God for you. And then at the end, he just kind of slips in there, remember my chains. This man was in prison. He was in chains. And yet he found a way to be thankful. How did he do that? He did it by taking his mind off his own difficulties, his own aches, his own pains. And he gave attention to the well-being of someone else. And the result was that he found happiness, contentment, and an inner strength that brought him through very difficult times. It might be that you came here this morning discouraged, maybe down in the dumps. Maybe you've been down in the dumps for a good while. I won't minimize your discouragement, your frustration, your feelingness, your, your feelings of helplessness or anger. I won't dismiss those any more than I would the chains of the Apostle Paul. And I know that some of you, that sometimes you feel like you're wearing chains. I want to offer you a door. A door through which you can find freedom and escape. And it's the same door that the Apostle Paul discovered. I want to skip ahead in chapter 1 just a little bit down to verses 13 and 14. Where he writes, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The doorway to freedom is Jesus Christ. It was the love and the power of Jesus that enabled Paul to see beyond himself, to have a vision beyond his own little world. It was Jesus who taught him the value of expressing love to someone else by giving of oneself. That giving of oneself, that sacrifice, is what the good news about Jesus Christ is about. He loved us so much that He died in our place. He died so that we may live. He died so that we might have a life that is full and abundant and happy. And the passage that we read today is just one of example of how the Bible is God's guide to leading us to a contented, fulfilling, joyful life. Would you like to have fulfillment, contentment, and joy in spite of your difficulties this week? Well, the answer to that is simply do what Paul did. Open your heart to someone and share with them the good things that are happening in their life. 
and open your heart to share the bad things that are happening in someone's life. Then help to meet someone else's need. And the teaching of Scripture and my experience has been that when we open ourselves to someone else's need and we sacrifice what we need to meet their need, somehow our need gets met. So in short, what I am saying is that if we are going to experience more than me, if we're going to live the life of a follower of Jesus Christ in this selfish society, we need to put the well-being of others ahead of our own. And when you do, you will be able to see beyond your own predicament. You will be able to see more than me. Now, if you'd like to talk about just how to live that out in your particular circumstance, with your situation in life, if you'd like to talk about how do I live out that challenge, Donna and I are going to be here for a little while this morning. We'd love to talk to you about that. Your elders are here. Good, solid men who would like to talk to you about how you live your life to be more than me. So we invite you to talk to one of us before you leave today. I want to close with a prayer. Father in heaven, I share with the Apostle Paul, I echo his words. I come to you as I've come to you so many times to thank you for what you're doing in this church. For the lives that you are changing, the hearts that you are mending, the families that you are strengthening. For the souls that you are winning to your son Jesus Christ through this church, I am so grateful. And I ask that you will continue to work in our lives. Strengthening us, encouraging us, inspiring us, enabling us to take the message of the love of your son Jesus to the people around us. And even through our own efforts and and through the combined efforts of this church supporting missionaries around the world, Father, work through us to bring the message of your son Jesus and eternal life in him to every heart and every mind and every soul that we can possibly reach. Work through us to accomplish your will in that. And I ask, Father, that as we respond to the challenge that you issued to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul to be more than me, I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit will draw us together, bind us together, And work in us for your glory. And I ask that you will do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.